0: My, uh, my guess is that we all have people in our lives who are resistant to trying new things, right? And if you're sitting beside that person right now, don't nudge them or look at them, but we likely have people in our lives who are resistant to trying new things. And so, for example, you might want to try something new for supper tonight, but the thing that's holding you back is that family member that you know doesn't like trying new things and won't try new things because they're afraid that they might not like the new thing that they try. And that can be kind of frustrating for, for us, the rest of us, we'll say, uh, because in our minds, we're like, objectively, they don't know that they don't like that thing, right? They've actually, by that, their fear of maybe I won't like that, they are closing themselves off from the chance that they might like that. Who knows? If they tried that plate of broccoli, they might love broccoli, okay? Any broccoli lovers? Oh, okay, okay, I'm not going to ask the other question. <laughs> uh, my previous pastor thought Brussels sprouts were a part of the fall. It was part of, You'd finally find Brussels sprouts in hell, that's what he talked talk about. But anyways, that's a whole other sermon. Um, anyway, yeah, we have these people in our lives who, and it might be us, where we, we're scared to try new things, and by being afraid to try new things, we, we close ourselves off to the possibility that we might actually enjoy the thing that we try, that we're refusing to try. Now, that's a real-life scenario, and in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's relatively small. I mean, you can choose not to, in our house all the time, we make multiple meals because the little people in our lives don't like all the food that we want to make. You can work around that, but it illustrates something for us the, about the impact that fear and uncertainty can have on our lives. That fear and uncertainty can, can uh, become something that keeps us from seeing the bigger picture of what is true, or what the possibilities of what could be. Instead, we find ourselves focused on what we're afraid of, what, the uncertainties that we, that we can't sort out, or, or we find ourselves waiting for that other shoe to drop because we're sure that it's going to, and then the possibility, in the, result, the end result is that we hold ourselves back from the possibilities of what could be, even if what could be could be really good. Because we're just waiting for something to go wrong. We're waiting to not like it. We're waiting for that thing that we're afraid of to come true. Well, in our text this morning, we're going to meet God's people during a time when they are consumed with fear and anxiety. And the only possible outcomes that they have in mind, the only possible outcomes that they can conceive, is that things are going to turn out very, very badly. And in their fear, they have forgotten about the good things that they have experienced. And they've closed them off, themselves off from the possibility that things could work out for the good. And so the question that God asked them is about inviting them to remember and to become open again to new possibilities. And so the big idea that we're going to explore this morning is that we are invited to look for God when life gets hard. And in doing so, we're going to see that more things are possible than maybe we first thought. And so to do this this morning, we're going to look at Exodus uh, chapter 14, and we're going to start reading at verse 5. We're going to read verses 5 to 9 to begin with this morning. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over them. The Lord hardened the heart of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly the Egyptians all pharaoh's horses and chariots horsemen and troops pursued the israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea you know in this passage this passage that we just read it follows the dramatic events of the passover where god leads leads the israelites out of slavery in egypt and now they find themselves on this journey where god is leading them from slavery into freedom into on this journey where god is going to use this people to be a part of his redemption story that will be you know, available for all people, all of creation, as God is redeeming all things, but they're a part of his redemption story. Now, in what we've just read, the Israelites are, are camped in the wilderness outside of Egypt, and what we just read shows us the reaction of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's officials. And this story right now reminds us of the influence that sin can have on our lives. This, these verses remind us of the influence that sin can can have on our lives. And we see this illustrated in two ways. The first is in the reaction of Pharaoh and his officials. See, they'd permitted Israel, the Israelites to leave following the plagues, and, things, and now that things had settled down, they're now starting to rethink things, and they're saying, whoa, 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 what do we do here? What are we going to do without this access to slave labor that is making our prosperity and our successes and our lifestyle possible? What are we going to do? Now, as a, child, I, as a child, I remember reading this story or hearing this story, usually with flannel graph, I believe, if I remember this correctly. Uh, I remember hearing this story and thinking, Pharaoh, like, come on. Like, after those first two plagues, shouldn't you have caught on to the fact that this isn't okay? You know, God wants you to stop. Like, why won't you just let the people go? Like, this should be obvious by now. Certainly by the time we get to this point right here, just let them go. It's okay. Pharaoh's response here is not just to let them go, it's to send a huge military force after them. And it's emphasized in these verses that this isn't just a small group of people chasing them, this is everything Pharaoh can throw at them. And this speaks to one of the influences that sin can have on our lives. You know, the reality is that when something benefits us, even if it's wrong, even if we're told that it's wrong, even if it's causing harm to others, It can be really, really hard just to walk away from that. In fact, our response might be to fight, to continue to hold on to that thing that we had, that we thought was making our lives really good, even if we've been told it's causing harm, or we've become aware that we shouldn't be doing that thing. Our response can kind of be like Pharaoh, where we can hold tight and say, I'm going to fight to keep that, even if it might seem obvious to everybody else that you should walk away. Try something new. Now, the second way that we see sin's influence on us is in what is said about God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Now, this phrase shows up a few times in the Book of Exodus. It shows up a few times throughout uh, throughout Scripture, and it kind of sounds like it kind of sounds like God is causing people to fail, doesn't it? It kind of sounds that way. But the problem with understanding this phrase that way is it really does conflict with our understanding of who God is if we take seriously the fact that Jesus is the full embodiment of the God who is love. And so we need to wrestle with that. And so I'm going to suggest that there's a better way to look at what's going on in Pharaoh here. And, I'm, and Bible scholar H. Junior Potrifka I hope I said that right. Describes what is happening here as God giving Pharaoh over to the maximum extent of Pharaoh's own pride, arrogance, defiance, and irrationality. It's an interesting quote to ponder, isn't it? God giving Pharaoh over to the maximum extent of his pride, arrogance, defiance, and irrationality. You know, in other words, God is recognizing that Pharaoh so walked in on on, holding on to what he had. He so walked into doing evil, and then nothing's going to change his mind. And so God steps back and says, okay, if you want that, have at it. And in doing so, it sets Pharaoh on a course to collide. Pharaoh's evil purposes, of the hold on to power, his, his, his intentions to cause death and destruction, collide with God's purposes to protect life and, and to bring about vitality and good things. And so Pharaoh's on a collision course with God. Now as we reflect on our own lives, we need to be aware that, that God doesn't force himself on us. And not only that, but we need to recognize that we can be so consumed with our, you know, the things that we want. We can be so consumed with anger and lust and greed, with our own desire for self-image, that we find ourselves rejecting God enough times that we might find ourselves you know, closed off from God and His goodness and what God wants for us. And when this happens, we might find ourselves on a collision course with God. Let's keep looking at this passage here. But first, let me tell you a story about something that's going on in our house right now, literally what's going on in our house right now. We are, this summer, we decided that it was time to do some renovations at the house. This isn't actually a picture of our house, but at times it's felt like a picture of our house. We decided it was time to do some renovations of our house. We spent some time thinking about our house over the last couple of years, and we thought, hey, something needs to change. We were convinced of the change. We decided that, you know what, it was gonna be worth the inconvenience of the change. We could live through it. But I gotta tell you, a month and a half, two months into this, I'm done. Like, like, I'm done. And I've gotten to the point a few times where I found myself saying, was it really that bad before? Can't we live with it the way it is right now? We can't, okay? Objectively, we can't. But emotionally right now, the inconvenience of everything that's going on right now has me rethinking everything and talking myself into, you know, into a way of thinking about this renovation that's just not true. You know, things were fine the way they were before. If you run back six months, no, they weren't fine. We needed to change things. That was true. I convinced my, I had told myself, I can live through this. But right now, in the heat of everything that's going on, the emotions of everything that's going on, I'm not so sure. I'm rethinking what is true and what I can actually handle and all that sort of stuff. It's hard not to feel the inconvenience of our experience right now and to let that sway our thinking. Now, compared to what's actually happening in our text and what's happening in people's real lives right now, what might be happening in your, real, your life right now, this is a really soft example, okay? So let me acknowledge that, okay? Uh, but it does illustrate how when things get uncomfortable or when things get uncertain or when things get scary, that we can, how we can lose our perspective, Now, we can't deny that for the Israelites, that this vision of the Egyptian army pursuing them would have been genuinely terrifying. It was. And so on the one hand, we can appreciate the fear that they're experiencing. But on the other hand, this story reminds us that fear can cause us to doubt that anything other than the disaster is possible. You know, our renovation story, I'm pretty sure right now, emotionally, that we're never going to have a house that's in one piece altogether again, Okay. That's not true, but that's the emotional response. In this story, we are reminded that fear can cause us to doubt that anything other than disaster is possible. You know, if we were to have read the first four verses of this passage, which we, uh, this chapter, which we didn't read this morning, we would actually see that God told them that everything that was happening was going to happen. God told them to go to this precise location. God told them that Pharaoh in his anger was going to pursue them. But God also told them that he was going to come out on top. But none of this seems to have been remembered by the Israelites. Verse 10 tells us, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. Now this moment of panic, this moment of crying out, isn't really portrayed in a sympathetic light. I mean, they just witnessed God do so much. Like, not so long ago, they'd witnessed God lead them out of Egypt, something that seemed impossible. And they just watched God do that. They just experienced that. But in the words that they're going to say to Moses, and we're going to read these words in a couple moments, we realize that, that their fear has transformed them into grumblers and complainers who sound like they were kind of actually happy in Egypt as slaves. Verse 11 says, They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. You know, in this moment, their fear is causing them to forget the God dimension to what is happening. And they see only two options. They see slavery or death. Those are the only two possible options that are in their mind. And not only that, this fear has transformed their view of slavery to maybe it actually wasn't so bad. In fact, if we keep reading in the book of Exodus, there's another time when the the Israelites are complaining, and they actually stop and they say, wasn't the food back in Egypt wonderful? Like, we had good food back then. It's this sense of looking back on their experience and being like, we don't like how things are now, and and looking back with rose-colored glasses to the good old days. Maybe slavery wasn't a bad thing. Maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. We could go back to that. That would be okay. But the reality is, is if we were to have read through the Exodus story starting at the beginning, you know, God tells Moses that he heard the cry of the slaves and he was concerned about their well being. This whole slavery thing was bad. Objectively, it's bad. It was not good for them. They were dying. It wasn't good. But their fear was taking over and they were having difficulty remembering what was actually true. And they were having difficulty trusting that God was working in their behalf, on their behalf. You know, I think that for some of us, the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now uh, or past ex- experiences uh, might have us empathizing a little bit with what the Israelites are going through because we are really struggling to, to envision anything different, anything other than just bad things happening. You know, we've, we've had relationships where we've gotten hurt in the past and as we, we develop new friendships or we get to know new people, we are guarded because we have trouble envisioning a relationship where we don't get hurt or you know things have happened in our past and we find ourselves living our lives waiting for that other shoe to drop. I mean, those things happened bad that that was bad and that was bad and you kind of w- find yourself like waiting, afraid to actually have hope or happiness because something bad's going to happen, right? Or you 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 don't pursue something that's actually good because well, what's the point? Some of us live in that spot. You know, fear has us camped out in, this, in, the, in, a, in a, a place where we can't envision anything good happening. But here's a question for us. What if the way we are currently seeing things isn't the whole picture? What if the way we are currently seeing things isn't the whole picture? What if there's more? When I was a youth pastor a few years ago, I went on a youth retreat. And on this youth retreat, um, we were waiting in the dining hall, and they played a dining hall game where um, they were, you know, the host, who was an intern, a student intern there, would say, hey, if anybody's got, and they name a certain object, the first person who got up there with the object, well, their table got to go first for food. Well, one of the, the things was, anybody got a blue sweater, and I got really excited because I was wearing my favorite blue sweater. My favorite blue sweater. And I ran up there and I said, I've got it and I'm wearing it. And this 18 year old intern looks at me and says, Sir, that also made me feel something special. Sir, that's not a blue sweater, that's a gray sweater. And I said, What are you talking about? That's gray. And I said, No, it's blue. It's my blue sweater. I bought a blue sweater. I wear a blue sweater. It's my blue sweater. And she said, no, it's gray, and she ignored me after that. And I went back to my table and sat down with my junior highs, and I said, what color is this? And they said, it's gray. (laughs) You know, some of the junior highs had life-changing experiences that weekend, but this was mine. And then I, I went home, and I said, "Hun, the weirdest thing happened. People think that my blue sweater is gray. And she said, you thought that was blue? I said, yes. She said, it's not blue, it's gray. I said, no, you're wrong. She said, and we walked around the house and we, we played a game. Is it blue or is it gray? And I got it all wrong. And I still don't know, what, see, I have trouble. What I learned that weekend is I have trouble differentiating between dark navy blue, what I think is dark navy blue, or gray. And right now I'm so caught off guard that I don't even know how to answer the question anymore, okay? Uh, and I, what I learned that weekend is when it comes to picking colors, which I didn't think I was that bad at, is I needed help to be able to see what actually was. You know, see something for how it actually, you know, what it actually is. What color is that? I don't know. I still look at it and think it's my blue sweater, but it's not, I guess. Um, And in a way, strange way, this is what's actually, this is happening in our passage this morning. You know, the Israelites can't see their, uh, see what's going on in their lives properly. They aren't able to see it objectively, and they need help. And this is where Moses comes in. And the story reminds us that we need people in our lives who can offer us a different perspective on what it is that we're experiencing. Now, what's really fun is that Moses is not always the picture of what it means to be calm, cool, and collected. Often, he's the opposite. But here, he's able to offer a different perspective to God's people who are currently not seeing things very clearly. Moses answered the people, "'Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today.'" The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. You know, what Moses is saying here, he's offering the Israelites an alternative way of looking at their circumstances. Yeah, the Egyptian army is right over there. We can see it. But you don't have to be afraid because the only options here are not death and slavery. There's a third option. And instead, he's inviting them to see how God is at work in their story. Now, the verse, uh, the verse that says the Lord will fight for, for you, you only need to be still, it can be taken a couple different ways. Some people have suggested that it's a word of comfort. You know, as in calm down, you just need to sit back and just let God do the work. And you might, you could picture it on an inspirational coffee mug or on a card that you might find to mail to somebody who's going through a difficult time. And in that, it can actually be understood that way. Is God telling his pe- these people Take a deep breath. Trust God in these hard circumstances. Other people have suggested that really this is an impatient command by Moses, as in, stop your complaining, sit over there and just watch, okay? Get out of the way. You're just, ugh, kids, go, right? That sort of like impatient command. And and I think maybe having both of these understandings in mind might not be a bad thing. Because we do find ourselves in situations where we need a new perspective. And sometimes the conversation we need is a nice gentle, hey, look at it this way. Other times in the heat of the moment it comes across as a bit more of a slap on the wrist. And sometimes that's what we need too to get our attention. Sometimes we need both. What Moses is doing here is redirecting the Israelites from their, from their fear towards God. And in fact, if we've been paying attention to their complaints a little bit earlier, we will notice that they kind of dropped God out of their complaints. They were complaining about Moses. They kind of forgotten God. And what Moses does is he brings God back into the equation and inviting them to to consider what could be true if God was a part of their story. Again, this is where, where we can't overemphasize our need to be in a relationship with one another. We need each other. Because when life gets hard, it's easy to lose sight on what is and what could be. And so we need the faith and the presence of other people to come into our lives, to be a part of our lives, to offer us another way of understanding our circumstances. And not only that, other people need us to be in their lives too. And so we need to be in relationship with one another for ourselves and for the benefit of each other. And this brings us to the question that God asks in this passage. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. You know, it wasn't wrong for the Israelites to have called out to God. So the takeaway can't be here, they shouldn't have complained, okay? Because throughout scripture, God invites people to reach out to him and to and he promises to reply. And so God wants us to cry out to him when we when we have needs, when we are struggling. He wants to hear from us as his children. But in our passage today, their cry to God has been overshadowed by the fact that they're complaining, what they're accusing Moses of, and the fact that their fear has taken over. And so what God says here is both a rebuke and an invitation. It's a rebuke in the sense that God is calling out how fear has started to call the shots in their lives. And, and, you know, they should have had enough experience. They had a recent experience with God that, that hopefully should have made them respond to this current crisis differently than they did. Yes, it was scary, but they could have responded to that, that situation differently. And so it's a bit of a rebuke and an invitation to them to recognize who they're in relationship with and to respond differently the next time this comes around. Being afraid is okay. Allowing fear to call the shots is another thing. And so this question is calling them to do better. But despite this rebuke, this story reminds us how God works with people who aren't always as faith-filled as we might want to be. In fact, the whole story of the book of Exodus is God being faithful and working through, in and through a group of people who complain, who doubt, who, who, who question, thing, question him and say, we should have done it the other way. The book of Exodus is about God continuing to stick with people like us who aren't always as faith-filled as we want to be. And that's good news. And so this rebuke is short, and it quickly moves on to an invitation to the Israelites to follow God as God does what would have been completely unheard of or unthinkable in parting the Red Sea and helping them uh, escape unharmed and move towards their final destination. Now, as we reflect on this story this morning, we would really be wise to to realize that that the story is bigger than God reacting to this one crisis. But rather, the story is about how God is out in front of the Israelites. He's not just responding to this one thing. He's already ahead of them. He's provided them, he's assured, he, he's providing them and he's leading them in a direction where he, where he has already determined is, is going to be good and fruitful and to their benefit. He's out in front of them. This is not about God reacting. This is about God leading them towards something that is really good. And so for those of us this morning, the application this morning is not that God will rescue us necessarily from our immediate circumstances so much that God is with us and he is leading us through our current circumstances towards a future that he already has deemed to be good. As we look to Jesus, we realize that Jesus Jesus never promised that life would be easy. Instead, quite honestly, in John chapter 16, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are going to encounter some things that are genuinely hard. We will. Some of us are in seasons right now that seem impossible, and we're struggling to see the faintest possibility of how things could even maybe in a tiny way be good ever again. There's stuff going on in our families that just are really hard. We're struggling to figure out how we're going to pay for things right now. We are struggling with our own well-being. We're struggling to figure out what the next steps might be for us. We, we just, it's hard right now for us to envision how things could be good. And it's hard in these moments not to allow our fears to start to own us and start to call the shots. But when we know Jesus, we are connected to the one who has ensured that these difficulties are not all that there is, but that there is good to come, and he's leading us through our, in our current circumstances, through our current circumstances, to the place that he wants for us. And so the, this morning, the question, why are you crying out to me, is an invitation to look for where God is, and where God is working in the middle of the hard stuff. And to exchange our hopelessness for the possibilities that things might turn out differently.